0: weeks ago started a new series called Love Revolution and I got to thinking about the word revolution and I got to thinking about a song that I'm familiar with that talks about revolution and talks about love. So uh, I, I wasn't sure, I mean I thought I knew what revolution meant, you know, that it's like when a bunch of people really get mad at what's going on in their country and they rise up and overthrow the government, right? <laughs> some, say people, some people say, yeah, like two years ago here in America. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> not sure that was a revolution. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that all turns out here. But I took the time to look it up because I I got to thinking, wow, I'm not sure I know what revolution means and I have to teach on it on Sunday. So I did look it up. And the first definition of it is a sudden, radical, or complete change. Now that would apply to my example that I gave just a moment ago. But apply it to your personal life. How many of you have ever been through a radical change? Somebody says, yeah, I got divorced recently. (laughs) Hey, we go through those things. That's real life, isn't it? Complete, here's a second definition from Webster's Dictionary. A fundamental change in the way of thinking about or visualizing something. That should be, something that's. I, I started reading that you know how you read before you say it I mean your mind's capable of and I I started thinking so mething Now how am I going to make this work You know that's a that's a pastor's unique anointing He paints it until it matches and beats it till it fits You know nobody else does that he just so that actually it should be something so I'm gonna start over (laughs) a fundamental change in the way of thinking about or visualizing something a change of paradigm see it was a change of paradigm for Christopher Columbus to embrace that the world of his day was not flat that the earth was not flat now some of you are too young to know That back in the day, some hundred, several hundred years ago, the common belief, I mean convincing belief, was that the earth was flat. And that if you sailed out too far in the ocean, you could fall off. Were you taught that in school? Did you know that? (laughs) They believed that And it took a man daring to believe against what was popular, what was common, what was everyday, what even the religious systems of his day were teaching. He had to change his paradigm and believe something radically different. That's revolution. Now, when it comes to love, I got to thinking. Well, so what's love got to do with it? Love, you must try to ignore that and- And uh, that last line actually is quite important. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And I would submit to you, who needs Christianity? Who needs church? Who needs Jesus when the majority of people I see that call themselves Christian are so broken and angry and mad and unkind and judgmental? What's love got to do with it? You see, love isn't a second-hand emotion. It's a spiritual reality, a spiritual dimension where believing and trusting God lives and is empowered. Let's look at it again. Love isn't a second-hand emotion. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual dimension where believing and trusting God lives and is empowered. And I want to look at how love actually empowers you to live a radical life. Really, when we think about Christian love, we might think about God or Jesus or Certain scriptures, those who are familiar with uh, texts in the Bible will think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The, 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 the love chapter. But the problem is, is that even the love chapter seems to slip into being a new moral list of do's and don'ts. What am I talking about? Well, you know the one that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 13. We often take those traits, those attributes of love, and we turn them into a list of do's and don'ts. Let's go through some of those, could we? Here on my screen. Love is patient. Could you read it aloud with me? Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It's not puffed up. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered or resentful. Now stop. Let's, let's just stop right here. Stop, 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 stop. I bless you with love. In Jesus' name, be healed. So uh, here's the deal. When I think about not being resentful, that that's what love is, that's a characteristic of love, I start thinking about all the things and people I feel resentful about and then I start telling myself, I've got to stop feeling that way because that's not loving. Boy, you all are looking at me with that holier-than-thou kind of, I don't don't have any problems with resentment. (laughs) Well, bless you. Go to heaven. (laughs) Let me talk to this group over here. Is not self-serving, isn't puffed up? You mean you don't deal with that? You don't ever slip into that self-serving or being puffed up or thinking more about yourself than you should? Thinking of yourself that you're greater than you are? So I've got to stop doing that. I can't do that. And so then that degenerates into or deteriorates into, well, behavior modification. I'm going to continue, verse 6. It is not glad about injustice, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, and it believes all things, and it hopes all things. In fact, it even endures all things. I love you. No, I, I love you. Until you start thinking differently about something that I think. I love you. I just, I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. Say, until you do something I don't like, until you cross me, <laughs> marriage partner, I love you. I love you forever. I will love you. Now, how many, any of you that have ever had a, a, a deep relationship with a significant other and especially if you've gone to uh, the commitment of marriage you know that the words I love you don't last long because of that song right there what has love got to do with it it's just a secondhand emotion I mean if my heart can be broken and broken and broken like this what's love got to do with anything really meaningful And that's what's wrong with our idea of love. We think love is a feeling. We think love is an emotion. And love isn't. It's a spiritual reality that we enter into. It's a spiritual dimension that God and God alone can place us in, out of which I can live and love. So I did a little looking around about this word love, and I discovered something. It comes from the word agape. Again, many of you might know that because of your proximity to church and Bible teaching and so forth. In fact, it's one of several words that the Bible uses for love. Phileo, for instance, is another Greek word for love, meaning affection. Eros is another Greek word for love, which means sexual love, sensual love. But we've been told that agape is a unique kind of love. It's God's love. Not an emotional love, but a, help me, decision, and so we're told that when we get married, we don't want just phileo or friendship, and we don't want just erosexual, we need to make a covenant commitment. How many of you, when you married, don't raise your hand, if you've been married before, and especially if you've been since divorced, when you got married, you did make a commitment. You believed that love was more than a feeling. You believed it was actually a commitment that you needed to make. And yet you got divorced. The word agape actually comes from the word agu. That word means to lead like a shepherd guides his sheep. The word agape is actually a compound word agu epo. And the Po means meaning to rest." He leads me beside still water. So when we put agape, a goo," or a go," a gay, together with "ape," it means, "He leads me into rest like a shepherd." Does that sound familiar to anybody? How about Psalm 23? "The Lord is my shepherd." I shall not want. He leads me. And part of that psalm says, where he leads us? Beside still waters. And the reason that's important is because of the way sheep drink. Did you know that? Sheep will never be found next to a fast-running river, drinking. They hate it because sheep don't like consternation. They don't like frustration. They don't like quick activity. They're spooked. They want settled calm water, which is why they go to ponds, and the shepherd leads them there. Agape is far more than a commitment you make it is a spiritual dimension that God himself leads you in where you are resting in your redeemed innocence as his kid, his child. Francois Dutois, who wrote the mirror translation of the Bible, said this, By the waters of reflection... My soul remembers who I am. God's rest is established upon his image and likeness redeemed in us. Thus, to encounter agape is to remember who I am. Isn't that great? Look at this. Jesus, the Savior of humankind, rescued God's image and likeness in human form. The grace of God shines as bright as day, making the salvation of humankind undeniably visible. Wow. Did you know Jesus not only loves you, he believes in you. All right, poll real quick. How many of you blew it this week? How many of you are lying? (laughs) Okay, now I got 100%, all right? Because you either blew it or you're lying. And here's the cool thing. In the midst of our worst day, our worst weeks, our worst months, even when we meander away from God's best for our lives, he still believes in you, he still embraces us. In fact, the scripture says, never leaves us or forsakes us. Now, what makes that kind of love possible? A feeling? Oh, my goodness, I love you. I, I, I love you. No, I'm committed until you do something I don't like, until you, until you say something that hurts me, until until you take a different position from mine <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean look at our culture look at our political environment right now where's the love you can't express love in an environment where agreement depends on thinking the same thing are you listening to me this morning Love is a spiritual dimension. Love is a spiritual reality that God brings us into. Apart from your goodness, apart from my moral behavior, apart from your agreement on everything, husbands and wives, and he brings you into that place where you recognize your redeemed innocence in him. You are his kid. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are perfect, and it's out of that he enables me to love, even when I am not being loved. Paul said that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. How is that possible? Running from God, hateful towards God, hateful towards people. How is it possible that God loved me in that condition? Because love is not a feeling. It is not a second-hand emotion. Love is a spiritual reality of God. In fact, the Bible says God is love. Now let me take this a step further. Did you know God does not love you? It's okay to cringe or cry or make a face or stick your tongue out at me, but the truth is God does not love you. Because if God merely, listen to me, if God underscore merely loved you, then that love could change based on your behavior, your attitudes, your agreement with him to believe like he believes. But it doesn't. The Bible says not only does God love us, it says God is love. He can't be changed. He can't be changed by anything you do. Anything you say or think never changes God's position and heart and mind towards you and me because he is love. (laughs) So much for the gospel of separation and distance that's been preached since the time of Adam. I was taught it in Bible school. We have been separated from God in a great chasm. No, you are separated from God here in your mind. God has never been separated from you. Because he never left you. He never forsook you. Now, there is a traditional passage in the book of Galatians that we find regarding an aspect of love. It's found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. It makes the statement towards the end of the verse, faith working through love. Now, I've heard that taught through the years countless times, and it always references this, that faith is made active and more powerful if I'm loving. So once again, it tends to deteriorate into if I'm good, if I'm moral, if I observe the list in First Corinthians chapter 13, then lo- faith will really be powerful. If I'm not, here's another version of that, if I'm not experiencing miracles or signs or wonders. If I've prayed for people and they haven't got healed, maybe the problem is I'm not walking in love because faith works through love. So what I need to do is work at being holier so that more power will flow through my life. Dear Jesus, help us in our religion that's killing The American church. And it's preached from pulpits every Sunday. Now, there are some translations that get this a little better because they say faith expressing itself through love. I like that. It's certainly true. But contextually, contextually, You know what I mean by that, right? If the statement, faith working through love, is to be taken in context of the chapter that it's in, and with the theme of the book, and you understand these were letters that Paul wrote to churches. So he wrote the letter of Galatians with a particular theme in mind. He was addressing religious tradition, and the bondage, the entering back into bondage by allowing legalism, behavior modification, to enter into their gospel. In keeping with that theme and in keeping with the context of chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 5, one of the few translations that even comes close to the meaning of that, faith working through love, is the mirror translation And so I submit to you the following, verse 6. God believes that we are fully represented in Christ, which takes circumcision or any contribution of the flesh out of the equation. Love sets faith in motion. And here is the latest rendering of that, an updated, it's like a revision that many translations go through, including even your King James, New King James, and the like. New International Version has been through three or four in the past 70 years. Love fuels faith. It's easy for love to believe. (sighs) Oh, my goodness. Love fuels faith. I thought about striking a match. How many of you have recently, for any reason, struck a match? This particularly, I'm particularly aware of that. Stick matches that we use at home. Strike that. See, that's like love. You're, you're striking love. You enter that dimension where you strike the very heart of God and who you who he redeemed you to be and power is released fire is released in the goodness of God I love that could I submit to you that you love out of likeness not out of your moral effort as long as I continue to try to be good as long as I try to love you when you are being unlovely or you disagree with me or you don't think like I think or you've said something that's hurt me, I will never love you with agape. But when I enter in through what God has finished on the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection, I enter in through faith to a place where he says, look, Jeff, You're now my righteousness. You are as righteous as Jesus is. Do you ever stop to think about that? You right now are as righteous as Jesus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You became the righteousness of God in Christ. And so now you are his image. You are in his likeness. And if, if I'm living out of his image, if I'm living out of his likeness, it's easy for me to love If I'm trying to be more like God, it's hard to love. But if I'm loving because I'm already like God, you love out of likeness, not out of moral effort. It's easy for love to believe. Could we just read, would you, would you, uh, what's the word? Would you uh, go along with me? Would you entertain me here for a moment while I ask you to read this statement and the next one. Let's do it out loud. Ready, read. Love fuels faith. It's easy for love to believe. You love out of likeness, not out of moral effort. So, love isn't a secondhand emotion. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual dimension where believing and trusting God causes you to be empowered to love like God because actually you are God in your DNA. You have all his DNA, all his likeness, all his image. Now you're not divine. You're not God. But you are God. God. Lisa, you are your unique personality, and nothing has brought greater joy to your mother and father than to watch your life proceed in the journey you've taken, the decisions you've made, and the beautiful woman that you've become. But you are like your mom and dad. You'll never be able to get away from that. There are things I watch that you do that I say, oh, that's Nina. And there are things I see and hear you say, I say to myself, I would have said that. Confirmed. Confirmed. (laughs) Husband says confirmed. See, so, see, you are your own beautiful self, your own beautiful personality. God did that but you have his DNA, his blood, you are in his likeness. And we need to stop trying to love people or love situations or whatever out of moral goodness, out of efforts to be like God. And we need to love because we are already like God 100%. Nothing's missing. You say, well, what about the fall of Adam? What about it? Jesus reversed that. Totally, completely reversed it. you remember when God stood? What time is it? I know I need to be done pretty quick here and get you all up here. We'll do that. Do you remember when God created Adam according to the Genesis account? What did he create Adam out of? Well, that's a kind way of saying dirt. <laughs> you ever heard the male personality or figure referred to as dirt? You old dirt bag. Come on, entertain me here. Sure you have. Have you ever called somebody a dirt bag? All right, well, so if you haven't called them that, you've thought it. And worse. And the reality is, in terms of, of the ground, yes, my earth suit. But how many of you know when this earth suit returns to the dust, what happens to the rest of me? What happens to the real me that's going to live for eternity? It goes on. That's called your spirit. So after God created Adam, fashioned him out of the dirt, he stood Adam up, and the, the Bible says that he. Whew, He breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living, satient being like God, 100% like him. So just fast forward to chapter 3. What was the sin that the serpent got Adam and Eve to commit? Well, they ate of the tree what was the tree knowledge of good and evil what was the promise Satan told Adam that if he would eat of that tree he would become like God in other words Adam you're not enough like God God knows That if you eat of this tree, you'll really become like God, knowing good from evil. So Adam, there's something you aren't yet. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not enough. And so you need to partake of another system. And they did. And they fell. But Jesus came. He reversed all of that. He redeemed us back to our original innocence. And you now are a living God being. Every bit, in fact, even superior to Adam. Because Jesus is your elder brother. He's called your elder brother. Matt, my son-in-law, you have... Four siblings, if I'm not mistaken. Three brothers and a sister. All different, very different personalities. All with great voices, by the way. And uh, <clears throat> like Matt. And uh, if you were to say, uh, I am like Danny, how would you be like Danny? Because you don't look like Danny. I mean, there's few features that are like Danny's, but... It's not my nose. It's not my eyes. It's not the color of my hair. How am I like God? How am I like Jesus, my elder brother? This spiritual dimension that's going to live forever when this earth suit goes back into the dirt. And guess what? You're already there. You're already there. You are not waiting to go to heaven. You bring heaven down here on this earth. Oh, I believe in an... Now, don't write me. Don't email me. Don't get all flustered. I believe in an afterlife. I believe in eternity. I believe...